<laughs> you didn't like that part, Tom, where Joseph Smith admits that he made up the stories? Oh, he's so self-aware, dude. Like, oh, <laughs> I, 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 mean, I am a storyteller. Yeah. yeah, I knew what I was doing. Like, yeah, I totally made that up. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> on thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. After your faith has let you down. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and this is episode 582, The Apology of Joseph Smith. Now, this is something that I recorded well over a year ago while I was in a state of, let's call it, super deep meditation. Now, I've always been interested in Joseph Smith. I've always wanted to understand him better. I wanted to be like him in a lot of ways as I was growing up. So this is an exercise where I tried to put myself in his shoes to imagine what he would say if I could talk to him about his life and his experiences. So first, I'm going to play for you the actual 12-minute apology itself without any interruption. Then you'll hear Tom Perry and Brady Bloom and myself break it down and smack it around, and there you go. That's an episode. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope it makes you think, and I hope it inspires you to do something like this on your own, if you want to. Now, if you do, let me know. I'd love to read or hear anything that any of you listeners might want to create around this. Just email it to infantsonthrones at gmail.com. And now, I give you the apology of Joseph Smith. All right, so here are some thoughts that I had. The apology of Joseph Smith. Um... I was always a a curious person, but I was also very skeptical, and that may surprise a lot of you, and I don't expect anybody to believe what I'm saying. I know I wouldn't if I was hearing it, because I was very skeptical always, even as a kid when I was hearing what my mom taught us about folk magic. It was interesting. There was something that drew me to it, but I challenged it. You guys don't know that, but it used to drive her nuts the way I would challenge her. But I wanted to test it. I wanted to prove it for myself. And that's how I got into the whole peepstone treasure digging thing. It was fun. And it was powerful. You know, people would pay us money to lead them on these treasure hunts. And we, didn't, we weren't getting money any other way. What would you do? But I knew. I knew what I was doing. And, um, but there were, there were experiences I started having because of the curiosity that I had. I really started feeling like I was connecting to God. I was connecting to the divine. You know, the first vision story, it's a nice story. I made it up. I made up a lot of stories. I'm a storyteller. 
But I started feeling like I was really connecting and starting to understand the purpose of things. It's like all of the religious fervor that was around us at the time and this Protestant zeal was a seed. And I started watering it, watching it grow. And what it, as I explored these ideas, it just became so clear to me that we can be like God, that God was once like us. That there's a, this thing that I call the light of Christ that's inside of everyone, your spirit, your soul. I really believed that. I really believed that deity and embryo, and it was such a liberating way to view people around me because I had been so skeptical for so long, and I started really seeing the divine in everyone, I just loved everyone, and that kind of uh, ended up biting me in the ass, but we'll get to that. want to start a church. I was kind of, I was pressured into that. But it wasn't hard to go into because there was so much love, so much excitement. People loved the message. You know, the Book of Mormon was really my first venture into storytelling and it was clunky. But it was as I was exploring these ideas. I hadn't come to some of the insights that I came to later yet, that's obvious. But I was embarrassed. I didn't want people to know that this was really just me and my imagination. And I didn't feel like it was just me and my imagination. I felt like it was real. I was really tapping into the divine. And it was a weird process of writing the Book of Mormon and getting it published, but, you know, there there you have it. I did it. I was kind of embarrassed by it most of my life. But it drew people. It attracted something. It, it ignited a spark. It made people feel like they were important. And I really felt like they were important heavens weren't closed. That there was a chance for everybody to connect with the divine within themselves. That's how I thought of it. And so I framed it in different ways that I thought they would accept. I was always, I was always asking, how can I teach? How can I share what I'm feeling with others in a way that they'll understand it and accept it. And I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of trial and error. But ceilings, you know, when, when I got this idea for the, the temple, I mean, it was there in the Bible. So it wasn't like this brand new idea that I had, but that we could use this as a way to create a ritual to show people 
that we really are connected. And so I'll say, let's seal you together. So now you feel like before you didn't believe that you were, but now after this, you feel that we are. So we have these sealing ceremonies in the temple. Not just to husband and wife, but to everyone. We were all sealed together. It wasn't about marriage. It wasn't about sex. It was about the unity of soul and how everyone was connected and the divine in the way that I imagined it. But, you know, not everybody understood the way I was trying to teach it. And, of course, you see today what's come of it. These symbols that had these ideas behind it that I was just exploring became monuments, monoliths. And a lot of wealth. I would have loved to have seen some of that wealth in my day. But it, it's corrupting. And I gave away as much as I ever earned. More. I didn't care about wealth. I did care about power. Felt good. The more that people were attracted to what I was saying, it felt good. And, um, you know, slowly over time, that uh, connection that I felt early to the divine got thinner and thinner and thinner. And it was as my ego was growing larger and larger and larger. It was kind of pushing it out. And I was still, I was still doing pretty good. I was still having good insights. I was still leading people in ways of self-discovery for them. But when I started taking the idea of sealing a little bit too far and loving <laughs> too far, it started with an innocent dalliance with... Fanny Alger. I mean, there were others before that, truth be told. But that's the most well-known. And it gnawed at me. How could I do this? How could I have such this connection to the divine that I felt like I did, but still be cheating on Emma? She was awesome. Emma was awesome. Why was I cheating on her? What was wrong with me? It bothered me. And I invented rationalizations for it. DNC 132. It wasn't until Helen Mark Kimball, 14 years old, the most shameful moment of my life was the realization after the fact that what I did, what I thought was consensual, what I thought was an act of love, I saw in her eyes the fear and the resignation. And it didn't hit me until afterwards. What a horrible, horrible thing I had done. 
and how could everything that I had done up to this point led me to that. And I went a little crazy. <laughs> I got really defensive. I wasn't the same person I had been before. And I saw that the way that the direction that the church that I had started was going, I wasn't proud of anymore. It was out of my control. I was out of my control. And there's no excuses for it. What I did was wrong. I feel that wrong. I carry that wrong with me through eternity. There's no atonement that wipes away how wrong that was. And there's no atonement that removes from me Shame isn't the right word, but it's the awareness of how wrong that was. That doesn't go away. That's a lesson, unfortunately, that I had to learn. But what I want to say to all of you who are questioning the Mormon Church, I want to say I'm sorry. I apologize. I was wrong. And the way that this church has gone, I'm not happy with. I'm on your side. If that means anything to you at all, I'm on your side. What, what is it, like a, an eight on the Tom size scale? And then maybe it was more of a, there's definitely parts that are super annoying. But I will say this about this is, don't listen to this when you're tired because you sound tired. <laughs> and so, yeah, you might, you might've been tripping balls or whatever it was, but you also sound like it was just so hard to put thoughts that actually came out of your mouth. Like, God, all right, how do we do this again? Mouth. Let's, let's just really? thoughts. That's what it sounded like to me. Sounded like you were really struggling to get this stuff out, but then all at the same time you're like, "Oh, dude, this, I'm saying words that mankind's never heard before. This is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> I I think I I don't know about words that mankind has never heard before, but maybe arranged in certain orders that have never been heard before, Tom. I think this is the same thing. We're Come on, we're squabbing, splitting hairs. Come on, man. We're just yeah. being precise. <laughs> uh, it, it's been a while because it's been a, about a year for me. But I, I remember, so like, I, it was at a time when I was trying to reconcile a little bit of like still having some of that anger phase and like just blaming Joseph or the church or all all sorts of things for everything yeah. instead of and and I've moved a lot through that to a place of more like, you know, Joseph probably was doing what he thought was the best thing to do, even though it was incredibly ego driven in my own opinion of it. Yeah. Right. But, but what I l remember liking about uh, what you're going to share um, was I felt like it was, 
your your way of kind of communicating with your idea of Joseph. Exactly. Yeah. And kind of finding that common ground of understanding of like, okay, where was this guy coming from yeah. with the a lot of the shit that he did too, right? Yeah. Um and, and what was the motivation behind that and how did he justify it and other things too. So yeah. um so I, I remember liking that. And okay. I, I don't remember the specifics though of stuff that yeah. Uh, All right. Bef- before we get into that, I want to ask a question, Brady, real quick, because you, yeah. the thought popped up. So, do you feel like that your ability to understand whether it's Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or any of these figures that maybe at one point you may have despised or looked down on or thought that they were evil, I guess, and then you got to a, a place of understanding, like, oh, you know, it if we take the historical context into play and maybe some of their, you know, the way they were raised and the environment, all that stuff. Oh, okay. So now I'm starting to get more of a three dimensional picture of who this person was. And I understand maybe more of their motivations is, is that more an evolved or a mature way of looking at things? Or is that just time that does it? Because the reason why I asked that is because a, a good friend of mine, he has been going on this evolution of trying to understand pedophiles, mm-hmm. try to understand. And I know I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to connect two dots here with Joseph Smith and pedophiles. No, yeah. yeah. But you know, in order, easily, but, but, yeah. <laughs> a, lot of pe- a lot of people do, but what I'm saying is like to really understand a, a behavior or, or someone who does something that you truly think is abhorrent or evil or disgusting or something that you, you, just can't understand um that's even, bad even for someone who's a pedophile which i think is mostly universally accepted as bad um most who's bad yeah okay anyways but if, <laughs> but if but if you spend time trying to understand that person like well you know i don't, I don't even want to go down that road but yeah. you know if you, if you yeah. spend time trying to understand certain individuals I kind of feel like while that is good or healthy to do it, because it also helps you do that to other individuals that you don't see eye to eye with or whatever. But anyway, I think I've gone on long enough. You please, I want to hear your opinion on that. Um, so I, I can just share from my own experience. So as far as saying like, whether that's like evolved or, or whatever, right? Like a higher way of thinking, I, I don't, I don't know. And that's, it's kind of unimportant to me because mm-hmm. it's been really helpful to me. Right. So one, um, one thing first is by doing that, particularly that it's been somewhat helpful, like thinking of Joseph in that way. I have, I have so many family members and so many friends that are still active believing Mormons. Right. Mm-hmm. And I interact with them and there is still, even with my efforts to like be understanding and show, show that kind of empathy or, or kind of trying to get into their view, there is still a wall that's there because before we believed the same things, now we don't, right? Um, but it's allowed me to be able to have meaningful conversations where I can suspend judgment of where they're at. Um, and particularly, I think it's even more helpful like with the current leaders of the church, cause it's our time. They're the issues that we're in and involved in right now. Like really, I, I believe, and I, I kind of choose to believe this, but uh, I, I do believe that 
they're well-intentioned. I don't think they're trying to cause harm or trying to do bad things. I think they think they're doing the right thing and, and what is right in God's name. And they're defending the church, which they think is the right thing to do. And they're making changes that are, are good in some ways and other people are still hurt by them. So there, there's a, it's just so complex. Right. And then going down that other lane, right. Through like, diving into to understand something as dark as pedophilia as a pedophile um a friend of mine introduced me to this idea it was john glenn um where he's really what john John glenn yeah yeah sorry no um not john glenn um (laughs) he's really dived into uh the holocaust and and into world war ii and really strived to see the other side of it and how how did people do what they did right how do you work at a concentration camp how do you gas people how do you do this how do you get to that point because that is part of human experience it is part and it is in all of us too and when it all comes down to it if we're going to save our family or if we're going to let this jewish family in to stay in our basement like what would we do when it comes down to that? We all like to think that we would be the ones that are, you know, creating these, these trains to get slaves out of the South or, or doing all these things. But most of the people were just silent. They didn't fight back. They didn't do anything to push back. It was a very small percentage of people that actually fought against the evils that they saw. And yeah. I think the same thing, happens today too right like we can we can bitch as much as we want on social media about stuff which is kind of helping but like one thing that i thought when you were talking about global warming is like we get in these loops of like man i'm so passionate and and this is bothering me so much but then we don't take action we don't find an organization that's like protesting and go protest or whatever right that that leads to actually doing something to fight against what we view as an evil in the world um and so i think that looking into and exploring an understanding of the shadow or the dark areas of of just human nature and different human beings uh, helps us to understand ourselves more and hopefully helps to make us a little lighter too and and shine shine out a little more that's that's my take on it yeah beautifully said thanks for sharing that man yeah all right now i want to say two things before i share this thing okay the first thing is i just want to make sure that you know tom and anybody else that's listening is that this is all fiction (laughs) i want you to know that i know that this is all fiction and like what you know when i've had conversations with krista the psychic in the past and i still like talking with people who are psychic and empathic and you know whatever it is to me this is all a game of an of imagination that's we're creating fictions and it doesn't matter to me if we're creating fictions out of scientifically uh, validated facts and we're putting those together to tell a story that's an incomplete story of what's actually out there to me that's a fiction or if we're just pulling things out of our ass or if we're kind of perceptive about things that we don't quite know and so maybe we get some things right and we get other things wrong nothing's infallible everything's incomplete everything's a fiction so to me that's that's where i'm coming from with all this stuff um you know like using your imagination is the tool to, to try and understand and to mine 
uh, or, or explore the limits of what you know and what you don't know and to play with it and have fun with it. And so that, that's what I'm doing. So that this isn't a thus saith the Lord moment. No. When, yeah. And if it was a thus saith the Lord moment, that would just be a big fiction too. You know. Except for except for the fact that you did say that when you were tripping balls on ayahuasca, this was a life changing experience. Yes, I think some people are going to say maybe the ayahuasca was secondary to you channeling Joseph Smith as this apology tour. That might have been the life changing experience. The ayahuasca was sort of a secondary thing. Like, well, then let me then let me say the second thing that I was going to say in these two things because I think please. it addresses that. Um, so, b- before I. Before I did the ayahuasca, I, I read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. Ooh, yeah, I, yeah. I read um, uh, this book by Rachel Harris. It's called Listening to Ayahuasca. And so I, I had certain expectations um, going into this experience of what it was going to be. And I had heard this idea of ego death. And so th- this idea of ego death was kind of in my mind. This idea of um, having an inner self um, was in my mind. And uh, again, I'm saying that all of these things are imaginative elements of a fiction that I said, okay, I'm going to play in the sandbox and I'm going to, I'm going to see what this feels like because I want to try and experience this. So when, as, as I took this ayahuasca, it takes maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes before it, it really hits. And when it hit, it started hitting really, really hard. And I was scared. I didn't like, I didn't like the way that I felt. I wish that I hadn't done it. Um, and, and I just wanted to like get up and leave this, this group that I was with this, these people that I'm sitting in the circle. I was like struggling, struggling, struggling. And I'm like turning to my right, turning to my left. And I, eventually I, I remembered what people had told me. You just need to relax into it. Just breathe, just, you know, relax. It'll be okay. I couldn't, I was just struggling against it so much. And after, I don't know how long, 10, 15 minutes of struggle like this, I finally did just relax into it. And then there was just this kind of peaceful experience. And it was almost like I was in this, in this void. And I started having a conversation with Quad. And it was my inner self. And my inner self was saying, all right, welcome here, Glenn. What was that all about? Like, what? What was what all about? What was that struggle about? It's like, well... I didn't, I don't want to be irrelevant. I don't want to die. I don't want an ego death. I, I like me. I like being in control. I like being lucid. And then like, I like being in control and like the inner, inner voice kind of chuckles like, Oh, so you think you're in control. Do you? That's cute. See, there's the condescension, Tom. <laughs> right. And, and the, 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 the story that I was telling myself in this state was there's not, it's not an ego death. This isn't about a death. This is about a marriage. It's, it's about connecting more to who you are, this idea of an inner self, whatever that is, like trying to understand more of what you are than just the limited piece that you're able to experience of the world. And part of that for me is also being open to <laughs> why does a pedophile pedophile? Why, why, you know, so, so like the, the, the Michael Jackson thing, that's why I kept butting in with the Michael Jackson stuff because I watched mm-hmm. that documentary on HBO and it, it just sickened me. Yeah, of course. But, but I, but I also felt really bad for Michael Jackson and I thought there's gotta be things in his past and in his history, you know, and again, we're not going to say he didn't have a choice because there's 
bound will, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so you can condemn it, but still feel sorry for him at the same time. I don't know that just to me, that's a way of stretching the limits of what I perceive and what makes sense to me and, and trying to, you know, I don't, and I don't know what the value is in it or not, but just to be more forgiving, I guess. And so, so that was, that was the approach yeah. that I took then with Joseph Smith. So, so in this experience, when I had this, this conversation between my egoic self and my inner self, once I had made peace with that, then I started talking with my ex-wife and her inner self. I started talking with my children. I started having all these imaginary conversations. And eventually it came around to Joseph Smith. And the first thing that I said to Joseph Smith, I'm like, I want to talk to Joseph Smith. What, what do I want to say to Joseph Smith? And I wanted to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you, Joseph Smith. Why? What? Why are you, why are you sorry, Glenn? I'm sorry because I make fun of you a lot. Like I rip you to shreds on a podcast in front of dozens and dozens of people. And I've been doing it for years. <laughs> and, and he's like, Oh yeah, that's no big deal. Like you're, you're talking about that guy. Oh yeah. That guy that you're making fun of. I hate that guy too. Like, yeah, that, that guy went totally off. Like he, he was totally flawed, you know, a lot, a lot like, like you've got flaws, Glenn. but so let's talk about your flaws. So anyway, we, we kind of <laughs> did that. So, so this was all, um, pretext to what I'm going to play now. All, all these things had happened before and were kind of in my head as I was telling myself this story and this fiction that you're going to hear as I was trying to understand what, what would it be like if, if, if I had been Joseph Smith or if I was speaking now with the limited things that I know about him and everything else. So that's the background. You ready? Really quick, I just, and we can talk about it later, but yeah. I think there's a real power in being able to rewrite our stories with yeah. our imaginations. Oh, yeah. Because uh, all of our memory and all the stories that make us really who we are and how, how we act today, right? Um, they're all based on our, our limited perception that we had and the way we perceived events. So yeah. being able to use our imagination to see those things differently yeah. can change the way we interact with life going forward. And, so, uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, like becoming be a powerful tool, but it's important to distinguish it with imagination from reality too. Right. And, and to just understand that to have, have that dynamic in the play and not get lost in the imagination and story, but actually tying it into real life. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that's where pathological liars come in, where they get lost in the stories they construct. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right. All right. So here are some thoughts that I had. The Apology of Joseph Smith. See what I mean? Tired as hell, dude. I was, I was laying down and I was trying to be thoughtful. <laughs> he was really, really high. He's always a, <laughs> a curious person. But I was also very skeptical and that may surprise a lot of you. And I don't expect anybody to believe what I'm saying. I know I wouldn't if I was hearing it because I was very skeptical always. Even as a kid when I was hearing what my mom taught us about folk magic, 
All right. So what do you think about this idea of Joseph Smith being a skeptical person? Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, yeah, that sounds about right. But I'm describing myself here. I mean, it's, I it's like so obvious to me when I listen back to it. Like what I'm really describing is me. Is it? Because yeah. I'm, I mean, if, if just from the LDS point of view, that's, you know, all through his life, he was very open-minded and skeptical and he was challenging ideas. That's what led him to the grove. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it's both. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But, but I mean, like, it's your, I'm not, I'm not what I'm yeah. saying is I'm not tapping into any, um, this isn't literally Joseph. This is me. This is my take on Joseph Smith. And I'm like yeah. learning more about myself with this way. When I go back and I listen to it and I'm like, Oh yeah, I've always been a really skeptical person. I'm talking about me here. kind of. Yeah. Except for your, but you know, Joseph Smith's background or at least the sanitized version of it. And that's playing sure. in your mind yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Was interesting. There was something that drew me to it, but I challenged it. You guys don't know that, but it used to drive her nuts the way I would challenge her. But I wanted to test it. I wanted to prove it for myself. And that's how I got into the whole peepstone treasure digging thing. It was fun. And it was powerful. You know, people would pay us money to lead them on these treasure hunts. And we weren't getting money any other way. What would you do? What would you do? I mean, is that like a, a impactful or poignant question at all to, to try to put yourself in those shoes and go, okay, this impoverished guy stumbles across these people who found a way to make money by taking people on like the Seinfeld reality tour of where the Spanish people buried you know treasures in upstate new york wouldn't you do that in in the situation yeah yeah i i like i i like the insight that this this gives just to counter right to provide at least a counterweight to the idea that oh he was a con man the whole time like he was like willingly just conning people and and just deceptive in every way like I think being raised by his dad being into a cult and that type of stuff. Like I, I think he probably had some inkling of like, man, this is real stuff. This is powerful or whatever else. And then like, I don't know exactly how it works obviously, but, um, but yeah, I, I like using that as a counterbalance to the other side of just like blaming and accusing him of being um, a con man. Yeah, because because I always wonder with Joseph Smith, what did he actually really believe? Because because I, I I sense that there's stuff about what he did that he believed in, but other things that he just kind of knew that other people believed it, and he was using that to his advantage. And so trying to find the line between those things, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and and then also mixing in his his own motivations and. Yeah, I don't want to get the spoiler territory where you talk about power and wealth, yeah. but yeah. Okay. All right. But I knew. I knew what I was doing. And, um, but there were, there were experiences I started having because of the curiosity that I had. I really started feeling like I was connecting 
to God. I was connecting to the divine. You know, the first vision story, it's a nice story. I made it up. I made up a lot of stories. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> you didn't like that part, Tom, where Joseph Smith admits that he made up the stories? Oh, he's so self-aware, dude. Like, oh, <laughs> I, 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 mean, I am a storyteller. Yeah. yeah, I knew what I was doing. Like, yeah, I totally made that up. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I bet you think he's condescending, don't you? <laughs> Not yet. No. Not yet. Yeah, but he's on the verge of falling asleep. But yeah. <laughs> he's been dead for like. But I started oh, feeling like I was really connecting. I'm starting to understand the purpose of things. There's like. All of the religious fervor that was around us at the time and this Protestant zeal was a seed. And I started watering it and watching it grow. And what it, as I explored these ideas, it just became so clear to me that be like God, that God was once like us, that there's a, this thing that I call the light of Christ that's inside of everyone, your spirit, your soul. I really believed that. I really believed that we were deity in embryo, and it was such a liberating way to view people around me because I had been so skeptical for so long. I really liked that idea. Really? You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is, even when I listen back to it now, like th- there were things that were coming out of this experience that weren't, I, 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 I could say they weren't premeditated. You know, like I had never thought, I had never thought that before of how adopting a worldview where every single person is deity and embryo could have been really empowering to Joseph Smith in, in a way that it just made him love everyone and kind of put them on an equal playing field. Not that that's what happened. I don't know if that's what happened or not. But the idea of thinking of everyone like that is a really powerful idea to me now. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I agree. And like studying yoga a little bit, and I recently read the Bhagavad Gita, and uh, I, I like Eastern thought and, and everything. And honestly, that's something that is pretty clear in Eastern traditions and, and Eastern idea mm-hmm. um, is, is being able to see that. And, and like, it's something I've practiced a little bit. Um, I've been a little out of practice with it, but earlier this year I was, I was really playing with that idea as a belief to to really see God in everything around me, within myself, but then seeing it within myself, seeing God in the barista at Starbucks, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, it really does change the way that I interact with people. I interact much more openly and just more connected, more with with more curiosity and care, right? Um, by by kind of just surrendering more in that way to to just anyone that crosses my path just be try to engage with them at a level that matters right yeah. so so yeah i i like the idea i don't know if joseph believed that but 
Um, but the the idea of the light of the Christ, I I think it's it's a cool interpretation of it. That's cool. Yeah, and I like I, it. I I think b- before I had had this experience, I had listened to something from Ram Das, mm-hmm. where Ram Das was talking about some of that um, Eastern philosophy about how everybody is like a different version of Brahman. You know, like we're 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 all yeah. different versions of God and or um, Alan Watts says we yeah. are all an aperture, right? Right. Right. Through right. which the universe sees itself. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and Ram Dass had talked about how he, he could, he could take $5 and go and see a movie or he could send $5 with someplace in India where there's somebody who's blind. And that's the amount of money that could be done to do an operation that would give them their sight back, you know, and j- just having that kind of thought about, what you do and how you interact with the world. I, I think that that influenced me a lot and was maybe behind some of these things a little bit. But. All right. I can tell I'm losing Tom. You're not losing me. All right. And I started really seeing the divine in everyone. I just loved everyone. And that kind of uh, ended up biting me in the ass, but we'll get to that. I... Uh, I didn't really want to start a church. Bullshit. I was kind of, I was pressured into that. But it wasn't hard to go into because there was so much love, so much excitement. People loved the message. All right. Let, 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 let's, hear, let's hear the bullshit, Tom. You, you think that Joseph Smith wanted to start a church? Yeah, obviously I'm superimposing, you know, my how I vision or how I perceive Joseph Smith. He definitely wanted to start a church, man. <laughs> this power driven ego maniacal guy definitely wanted to start a church. So that's why, and, and maybe I'll even give it, give your little channeling thing here. High as balls channeling thing to say that, okay, <laughs> may, maybe there were times where he's like, I don't know if I really wanted to do this. Like he's second guessing himself after he's already freaking committed. Sorry, dude. You, you've already, you, you already planted the seeds that you're watering. So, (laughs) well, do do you remember, this was probably like four years ago. We interviewed Tyler Meesum about an honest liar. Oh, were you on that one? I don't remember if I was on that one, but I do. I definitely remember him and the movie. Yeah. 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 And, and so for a few months after that, he and I went back and forth for a while on ideas for, uh, like a, a cable series about Joseph Smith and the rise of Mormonism. Bray, Bray, you've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I sent you some of the things that we wrote, but, but so I, I spent a lot of time, um, thinking like if I was going to tell the story of Joseph Smith, where would I start? How would I want to tell it? Who is this person? What happens to him? You know, like what's his character arc? And just the way that I pictured him, um, I, I, and, and especially in relationship to his mom, I think that, that his mom pressured him into making this thing a religious thing. I, I think that what he, what his idea with the book of Mormon was that he had seen this treasure digging stuff. He saw the excitement around it. He saw there was money in it. <laughs> he thought if I can write a book 
<laughs> from this, I could make money from it. If I can write my own scriptures. And, and like, I didn't, I didn't know this, but he told people, um, that this was reported by Isaac Hale, who was Emma Hale's um, father, <clears throat> that, that Joseph told people when Emma was pregnant with their first child who died, I think, in childbirth or shortly thereafter. But this was before the Book of Mormon had been written. And he said that that child would be the one who translated it. So it would be translated and published to the world through the eyes of a child. So I, I think at this, at this time, he was thinking, how can I create this fantastic story that I wrap this book that I'm creating into that, you know, he, he, he got a copyright. He wanted to sell this thing. Yeah. And it, and it didn't, that's not what it was. It turned into something totally different. And I think that it was his mom's influence. Um, Cause I, I think she was kind of a, a bossy blowhard. <laughs> I, 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 I think, I think, I don't even, her. <laughs> I, I don't even know where you're getting these ideas, but I definitely don't have any evidence to try to counter it. So I'm just going to scroll. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just telling you some of the backdrop of why I'm sure, making sure. choices in the fiction that I'm creating about Joseph Smith. <laughs> yeah. like, you, here, you don't remember that quote of yeah. Hiram calling his mom a bossy blowhard? I mean, that's, <laughs> that was like, it's engraved in gold plates. I swear. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but like her, her history, like historians kind of take it with a grain of salt because she was prone to exaggeration. And <laughs> um, yeah, the, 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 there's a book called the sword of Laban that uh, talks about when Joseph was a boy and went um, under the knife, you know, for his bone um, operation. Is this where he refused the alcohol? Cause That's he, the one. Yeah. Right. And, and th- this book did a really, it was really influential on my understanding of the dynamic between Joseph and his mother and his father. Fair enough. All right. That move on. So, all right. Yeah. I'll move on, Tom. Yeah. The Book of Mormon was really my first venture into storytelling and it was clunky, but it was as I was exploring these ideas and I hadn't come to some of the insights that I came to later yet. And that's obvious. I was embarrassed. I didn't want people to know that this was really just me and my imagination. All right. Why the snickering? You don't think that Joseph Smith was, was, was Brady? Was Mormon? Brady snickering? Oh, was it Brady that was snickering or was it Tom? I don't know. I don't know. It was Tom. I wasn't paying attention. I, yeah, I was, I was just trying to listen to the words as they're being spoken. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I just, I just think it's hilarious that he's like, "Oh, this was my first venture into st- storytelling. It was a little clunky, you know. I, give me a break, guys. I mean, I was trying to figure things out. Wait till I, wait till you read the JST. What I did with the Bible, <laughs> it, it, was, it was way better. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, you're you're allowed to chuckle then. And I didn't feel like it was just me and my imagination. I felt like it was real. Like I was really tapping into the divine. And it was a weird process of writing the Book of Mormon and getting it published, but, you know, there there you have it. I did it. I was kind of embarrassed by it most of my life. But it drew people. It attracted something. It, it ignited a spark. It made people feel like they were important. 
And I really felt like they were important. That the heavens weren't closed. That there was a chance for everybody to connect with the divine within themselves. That's how I thought of it. And so I framed it in different ways that I thought they would accept. I was always, I was always asking, how can I teach? How can I share what I'm feeling with others in a way that they'll understand it and accept it? And I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of trial and error. But ceilings, you know, when, when I got this idea for the, the temple, I mean, it was there in the Bible. So it wasn't like this brand new idea that I had, but that we could use this as a way to create a ritual to show people that we really are connected. And so I'll say, let's seal you together. So now you feel like before you didn't believe that you were, but now after this, you feel that we are. So we have these sealing ceremonies in the temple, not just to husband and wife, but to everyone. We were all sealed together. It wasn't about marriage. It wasn't about sex. It was about the unity of soul and how everyone was connected and the divine in the way that I imagined it. All right, Tom, I, I see your inner chuckling. What, what have you got to say about this idea? Uh, actually, most of it's pretty good. I like the ceiling part of it. I just snicker at the part where he's like, it wasn't about sex. That was just an added benefit. I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Like, Bonus. Have, have you have you seen some of these girls that I got with? Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, yeah, but the sex part was about sex, not the ceiling part. That's the, that's the ceiling was something. Different. I know, but most people rank the sex above anything else. Okay, and I, and I think old Joe definitely fell into that category. He's like, ah, oh, you know, like, what am I? What have I got to do? I got to satisfy this raging hormone thing man and there's ladies all around me there's there's one that's cleaning my house right now <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> i i want to hear i want to hear tom channel joseph <laughs> like foghorn leghorn <laughs> <laughs> i said i'll say it all right but you know not everybody understood the way i was trying to teach it and of course, you see today what's come of it. These symbols that had these ideas behind it that I was just exploring became monuments, monoliths, and a lot of wealth. I would have loved to have seen some of that wealth in my day. But it, it's corrupting. And I gave away as much as I ever earned. More. I didn't care about wealth. <laughs> I did. You, you don't believe that, huh? Not a chance. Sorry, dudes. He was very interested in money. I think. Oh, definitely. And you're you're being real charitable to this dude right here. Well, it's it's the dude talking for himself it's joseph being charitable to himself man <laughs> yeah the glenn abides i guess fair enough <laughs> yeah 
But but is is that not true that he? I, I mean, uh, of course he he tied economics and politics and religion and and everything together in Nauvoo, and he did benefit from it. But mm-hmm. he also was incredibly generous, <laughs> and he he did he didn't really keep track of stuff. You know, like I I. I Another book that was really influential to the way that I understand this side of Joseph Smith was Sterling Van Wagen and um, a biography of Sidney Rigdon. Wait, 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 wait. Is he the guy that just got arrested? Oh, I'm probably saying the wrong name then. I don't know. Yeah, that guy that just got arrested. I dated his daughter at BYU. We shouldn't be playing this. We shouldn't be playing this Joseph Smith thing. We, I definitely want to hear more about this. Yeah, I'll tell you about it later. Oh, Okay. <laughs> She, she, uh, she was one of the, uh, I'll tell you about it later, but I'm going to tell you <laughs> producers of the Blair, Witch, the Blair Witch project. Oh uh, yeah. He worked okay. on that. And, and the guy that she married worked on that. Anyway, she, she died of cancer several years ago. Sad. Oh, that is sad. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I, so this, this book, um, and, and now I'm going to have to, to check out the name. Um, I think it's Van Wagenen or Van Wagener that, uh, wrote this biography of Sidney Rigdon and talked about how both Joseph and Sidney Rigdon avoided manual labor. And what they were trying to do with their preaching was to make a living doing it. And so trying to find ways, you know, and, and of course giving all of these uh, sections in the doctrine and covenants about how people were to donate all of their stuff to the church, which then they would benefit from puts a huge target um, on both of their backs. Um, yeah. Okay. But, but I mean, what's the side there? I don't get it. Uh, no, I, I'm with you. I, I just, there's always the counter. I mean, Joseph Smith in all of his actions showed that he was hyper focused and borderline obsessed with, with uh, power and money. And obviously you, I think even in this, you interweave them a little bit because yeah, they're, they're interconnected. Yeah. You know, I think you can't have power without it. money. You can't have money without power, or vice versa. Right, and and I think he was seduced by it over time. Oh sure, I mean he was probably seduced through it throughout most of his life. I mean he ran for the president of the United States. I mean yeah, this this guy had an ego that needed to be satisfied, along with the sex drive and his wallet. I mean he had a lot of things that needed to be satisfied. So yeah. All right. About power felt good. The more that people were attracted to what I was saying, it felt good. And, um, you know, slowly over time, that uh, connection that I felt early to the divine got thinner and thinner and thinner. And it was as my ego was growing larger and larger and larger. It was kind of pushing it out. And I was still, I was still doing pretty good. I was still having good insights. I was still leading people in ways of self-discovery for them. But when I started taking the idea of sealing a little bit too far and loving <laughs> too far, it started with an innocent dalliance with Fanny Alger. I mean, there were others before that, truth be told. But that's the oh, most yeah? well known. 
Mm. Yeah, you didn't know that? <laughs> I'm wondering if that's more of a Glenn coming through like, oh, you guys thought Fanny was the first? Well, surprise, surprise, she wasn't. Oh, no, no. There, there, there were rumors of what one of uh, Emma's cousins. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it, like even within the first year that they were married. Not like sweet. after they eloped together. It's um, funny. I'm, I'm not the slightest bit surprised, but yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I, I, I had read that in other sources. I wasn't making that up. <laughs> and it gnawed at me. How could I do this? How could I have such this connection to the divine that I felt like I did, but still be cheating on Emma? She was awesome. Emma was awesome. Why was I cheating on her? What was wrong with me? It bothered me. And I invented rationalizations for it. DNC 132. It wasn't until Helen Mark Kimball, 14 years old, the most shameful moment of my life was the realization after the fact that what I did, what I thought was consensual, what I thought was an act of love, I saw in her eyes the fear and the resignation. And it didn't hit me until afterwards what a horrible, horrible thing I had done. And how could everything that I had done up to this point led me to that. And I went a little crazy. <laughs> so what, what do you think about that, Tom? The Why is this all me? I want to hear Brady talk <laughs> a little bit. I know. I'm glad that Tom's been on the, on the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hope that that was true. Um, that it was the most because I believe it's the most shameful thing that he that he did in, in from my perspective. So, um, if I were in his shoes, I hope that I would have that same kind of reaction. Well, I hope that I wouldn't have done what he did, but um, but yeah, I I don't know if I believe that that is true, but I'd like to hope that that is. So, I think that's the most I could say about it. That's good. I, I I also like to think that, I mean, I like hearing this sort of uh, fictionalized version of the self-aware Joseph Smith. I definitely don't think that Joseph Smith was self-aware. I think he had a lot of things going on in his head and in his mind and on his dick. I mean, just a lot of things that, <laughs> that prevented him from doing the self-care and the self-analysis so that he could understand and reflect on his decisions and stuff like that. I think he's, he kind of reminds me, at least some of his decisions, I'm not trying to parallel him with Trump, but somebody who's just wrapped up in sort of the pleasure cycles and, and the things and always defending his actions afterwards. Anyway, yeah. This is this is the Joseph Smith that spent 180 human years in spirit prison. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, so I, I think some of the inspiration for, for the Helen Mark Kimball thing, because when, when I was talking about this, I could really picture her face and her eyes and like, what would it be like to, to have done that, have done that. And then you see that just the terror and like, what would that feel like? Yeah, this is um, this is this is you empathizing with a potential pedophile here. Basically, yeah, and yeah. and so that the, there there's a friend of mine. Um, we we knew each other when I was living in Tokyo um, ten years ago or so. His name's Nate Jensen, and actually Sage interviewed Nate's dad for one of those uh, "How to Be an Atheist, Not an Asshole." Oh, shout out to this. Sage! Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, but, but Nate is this really talented artist and he'd do a bunch of pencil sketches and there's probably still a blog out there that has all these sketches on it. But one of them was uh, Joseph Smith and I think Helen Mark Kimball and he's, he's on the bed and he's reaching out to hold her and she's trying to flee and he's like holding her down. And it just is such a jarring image to see and to think that you know these things that we hear in stories and we're horrified by actually happened to some degree or another, and the the details are totally lost. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. But but trying to to put on that imagination, that condescending imagination, and <laughs> empathize, what would that have been like? Um, and did he, you know, like, are are you going to be in a position where you're willing to accept the apology of Joseph Smith or not? I mean, that's you know. That's for every person to decide for themselves. <laughs> but, but, but just, you know, this, this is where I was coming from with it. You know, like, how do I, how do I reconcile the things that I have in my life that are really good that came as a result of Joseph Smith and the church and what came of it. And then all of the other shit, you know, as a contrast. So anyway, it's almost over. It's about two minutes left. I got really defensive. I wasn't the same person I had been before. And I saw that the way that the direction that the church that I had started was going, I wasn't proud of anymore. It was out of my control. I was out of my control. And there's no excuses for it. What I did was wrong. I feel that wrong. I carry that wrong with me through eternity. There's no atonement that wipes away how wrong that was. And there's no atonement that removes from me. Shame isn't the right word, but it's the awareness of how wrong that was. That doesn't go away. That's a lesson, unfortunately, that I had to learn. But what I want to say to all of you who are questioning the Mormon Church, I want to say I'm sorry. I apologize. I was wrong. And the way that this church has gone, I'm not happy with. I'm on your side.
If that means anything to you at all, I'm on your side. That's it. Spirit withdrawn. Spirit withdrawn. Yeah. I like how he says to those of you questioning the church, because he's not going to talk to the believers. They don't deserve the apology. Just the people that are questioning. Oh, go fuck yourself, Joe. <laughs> you, you owe that apology to everyone. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't think that the apology was just to those. I think the message to people who were questioning was I'm on your side. You're, there's a, you know, you're right to be questioning, but well, and jo- Joseph knew that the only people that would be listening to Glenn's channeling <laughs> spirit would be the people that are questioning yeah. the church. Right. That's go. how you know that it's true because Joseph actually, <laughs> how else would he know? How would he know anything like that? How would he have known? How would he know? What did, what did you think about that idea of the atonement? What, that it doesn't work? Yeah. That there, there is no atonement that erases the impact of these kinds of things like 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 these these impacts these ripples that they if if there is some kind of an eternal spirit that um records like like an like a a record angel and angel writing in a book (laughs) yeah or 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 something where it's just like the the imprint of on a microchip or i don't know however data is stored in a cloud you know. <laughs> literally <laughs> we've, we've, been able, we've been able to technologically duplicate some of this stuff that right, maybe, right. maybe maybe life having evolved for billions and billions of years before us has figured out how to do all on its own and that encoding is kind of within us mm-hmm. maybe but but that that coding wouldn't erase anything that had ever been done mm-hmm. so that so like if if there was some kind of a personality of joseph smith that existed beyond the grave he would remember everything that Joseph Smith ever did. And You're talking karma, man. Conveniently go away. Yeah, maybe that's the idea of karma. I don't know. But 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 just that stuff doesn't just go away because you're like, well, Jesus died for our sins, so let's just forget that we ever did anything wrong. No, that's not what it, that's not what it means. I don't know. That that well, was another one of those things that when it when it came up, it, it wasn't premeditated. And when I listened back to him, I went, oh, that's that's interesting. Like that. Yeah, interesting to explore. I like the way that you reframed shame because like maybe during his life, it was shame that he felt right. And, and that was the most shameful moment in, in this um, fantasy idea of Joseph. But um, like in that afterlife state, it's not, not shame. Isn't the right word you said. It's an awareness of Mm, the pain that you caused the, the wrong that you did. Right. And, and that it's a lesson, but that the awareness is still there. Right. Um, and so shame can kind of fade or can, can be healed or, or can go away, but the awareness will, will be there. I, I liked that reframing a lot. One thing I really like Glenn Mm -hmm. is that here you are on literally the grandmother of psychedelics <laughs> the grandmother of it yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and and you decide to channel joseph smith like that's that's the the stuff that's working in your subconscious and that is coming up and yeah. you're you're working with i i really think that's interesting and and this version of joseph is a joseph that i think i could 
play let's see four oh i yeah i could play that you want me to you want me to write the role for you and you can be joseph sure. smith in in the thing i would yeah it would be an honor glenn no uh, <laughs> to, to shame my family name in such a way <laughs> for all my mormon family members <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh man, but but no, it is a Joseph that is relatable. But, but so I've already got the line written when like Joseph's Joseph is sitting there, and the sixteen-year-old Fanny Alger walks by, and Joseph goes, "Pretty bird, pretty bird." <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Silly old bear. Silly old bear. Yeah, that's when he's with the the bald gay man. <laughs> Harry, no, it's, yeah, it's Harry Gay Man is a bear, right? I don't know. I oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I and thinking about it, as I was saying, like this is a Joseph that's relatable to me. It's a Joseph that like I could see myself actually like knowing, right, and being more of a real person. And like people really liked Joseph when he was alive. Like he was amiable and he he had that influence on people and could connect with people. Yeah. So like the demonized version that we often paint in our own minds, right? Having left the church and and having a much um just keener awareness of the the dirty details of the yeah. history of Joseph, um, I think doesn't paint the full picture also, right? The the complexity between the shadow and light side of of Joseph Smith. And that can and that can easily be said for believers who borderline sure. deify him. Oh absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and Truman 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 J. Madsen's Joseph Smith, you know, lectures on Joseph Smith were hugely influential in in my sympathetic view of joseph smith and you know like the way that he would talk about you know like and and he's cherry picking scenes from history right you know trying to create a more sympathetic character i get it um but that joseph wanted to wrestle on the floor with kids and people thought that that was really unbecoming of a prophet and he's like screw you you know when when people would come into nauvoo he would he would dress up like a commoner and go down to the docks and meet them like incognito and then when he would tell people, yeah, I'm actually the prophet Joseph Smith. And they were shocked because they were ex- expecting some kind of erudite person. Like, how often did this happen? I don't know. It was part of the Truman J. Madsen representation of Joseph Smith. Because he also freaking wore a, 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 a military uniform around all the time for being the, the general of the Nauvoo <laughs> Legion. So which, mm-hmm. which Joseph are going to choose? He did all these things. But, it, but it's, it's that complexity of his character and trying to explore those different facets and it you know like my rorschach theory of everything now that you know like everything is just kind of a a fiction it's incomplete we don't know the whole truth about anything but where the real power is is when we're doing our self-reflective work trying to understand what it is that we're looking at Hmm. and and you do that with joseph smith you do that with everything and uh, that, that, that's why I think you can have fictions, knowing fictions, um, mm. to try and get away from dogma because dogma is where things start going wrong. And just like everybody admit, okay, it's a fiction. It's a fiction. It's a fiction. We're using our imagination, our imagination. Let's have some humility with this and share, <laughs> you know, and play and uh, not get caught up in all of the dogma on any side of this stuff because nobody knows nobody freaking knows 
Yeah. It's curious though. You know, if, if, if I went down the road down to Peru and decided I was going to trip balls <laughs> and, and, and I, and I, wanted to take that journey i i'm pretty confident i would not channel joseph smith but sure. there's a slim chance i think i would channel brigham young i've always been curious yeah. as to why people have been so fascinated with this charismatic guy who died in his 30s by you know shooting his way out of a jail but i've way been more fascinated with brigham young that dude was polarizing he yeah. He was a character. He was ballsy, more, man. Ballsy, evil as hell. <laughs> so, I mean, Tom, that's... Do, do you remember when uh, when we did our first Krista the Psychic recording and my sister Melissa was part of it? I mean, this is going back a long time ago. Yeah, I have vague, vague memories. And, and I, on, I only published um, segments of it. On, on the Infants on Thrones episode that we did with it. I, I recently mm. went back and listened to that entire conversation within the last month or so. I, I, I should send it to you. You'd probably be interested in it because we talk a lot about Brigham Young. Really? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like, and, and so as, as Krista's doing her channeling thing, she goes, you want to know the day that the Mormon church went wrong? It was the day that Joseph Smith met Brigham Young. Hmm. And uh, anyway, it was it was an interesting conversation that was driven, I think, a lot by your curiosity into Brigham Young and the kind of questions that you asked and then the things that we would talk about as a result of it as we're playing with this Rorschach thing that really is just about how are we responding and reacting to this work of imaginative fictional art that's being put in front of our faces. Such, it's such a subjective thing to say that the Mormon church went wrong as soon as you meet Brigham Young because a lot of people, and I, I would say that I probably felt this way too, that that's where the church went right. He was the one that made the church flourish. So, But flourish in, yeah, in a <laughs> very different direction. Anyway. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The, I've, I've the Joseph Smith about... biography was, was the thing for my younger brother. Yeah. My, my older brother and I had already like left the church. And, and had let our family know. My younger brother had started reading the or listening on Audible to the Brigham Young biography, and he he had to stop it. He he turned it off, and he's like, "I can't keep listening to this testimony." Because <laughs> man, I was busting up listening to that thing. When, like <laughs> over the pulpit, he's saying, "Well, shit on you," and like mm. on like he's he would shame people. Yeah, <laughs> man, wild man. He was a wild dude. Anyway. Yeah, I'm pretty I, sure I wouldn't. I wouldn't channel Joseph or Brigham going down to Peru. Who would you channel then, Brady? Um, Jesus the, himself, the Quad, most likely quad, through, yeah. the ball of light named Quad. Your your own internal Quad. Yeah, my own internal Quad for sure. Inner Quad. Yeah, your higher Quad. <laughs> my higher Quad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll we'll have we'll have to see and and discuss who I would channel, I guess, on another time. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So I've I've already written two more of these conversations with Quad, so we can schedule a time maybe in a in a week or two and, and do another one of these if you guys want. And then in in like a year, year and a half, I expect us all to get back together to listen to Tom's channeling of Brigham, 
while yes. he's tripping balls on on ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna start well, a GoFundMe for a, a, a <laughs> ayahuasca. I'm not even sure I would donate to that. I, I, <laughs> I but I, I'm wondering though, are you open to uh, you know other contributors as writers to this ch- chapters of Quad? Sure. Who are you thinking of? Uh, me. Do it. Yes. Mm, all right. Who else would I be thinking? Brady, uh, I volunteer yeah. I you. I don't know. No. I don't. I, if well, you're thinking I don't know why you would frame it as anyone instead of just saying, can I play? If it's open-ended, maybe, be, maybe I'll explore a, a channeling of quad. I wanted, I wanted yeah. to be clever about it, Glenn. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's so condescending. Just tell me what you're saying, what you're thinking. <laughs> That's just my inner quad, man. Trying to tell you that I wanted to play too, man. I, I'd love that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That's a great idea. I like that too. All right. Night, guys. Appreciate it. A lot of fun. All right. Take care. Good time, Glenn. That was awesome. I go out at night and paint the stars. I go out at night and leave my head on the bed. Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Elder E. Eldon Elderman of the Seventh Quorum of the Seventy. When I'm not interviewing children about their masturbation practices, I monitor the Infants on Thrones podcast for the Strengthening the Members Committee. If you really like what you hear, you can jeopardize your eternal salvation by giving the quorum a five-star rating and writing a short review on iTunes. I didn't, but that's because I want to be resurrected with my genitalia intact. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.